Welcome listeners to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love hosted by Richard Osler. Uh, My guest on today's podcast is a Utah State University student. He's a senior working, um, finishing up a degree in social work. He's going to share his story as a gay Latter-day Saint. Uh, Welcome to the podcast, Dallin Patton. Hi, so great to be here. Um, Dallin, somebody tagged me on a Facebook post. I think it was Laura Whipple Ellis. We ought to give her a shout out because you were talking about speaking at Utah State. Um, you founded an organization called Queer Christian Initiative, and I think she tagged me and said, you ought to be on the podcast, and I thought, well, that's a great idea, so um, here we are. Um, just a little background on Dallin. He's in his mid-20s. He grew up in Tucson, Arizona, um, served a mission in Kansas. I asked him if he ever served in Wichita, this place I lived for a couple years in my 20s, and he said, well, I spent most of my mission in Wichita. Um, so we have that common connection and I love Tucson also. Um, Dallin's been pretty open. I read through his Facebook as I prepared for this podcast in June of 2022, roughly a year and a half ago, he shared, uh, his coming out post and then he's been talking about it, Utah state and other circles. So this won't be new for him to share his story. Um, but it's still every time somebody steps forward and shares their story, I just want to give them a virtual hug for the courage to be honest about who they are and navigating their um, road as a LGBTQ Latter-day Saint. So we hope this podcast to be helpful. Maybe those of you that are closeted looking for the principles and perspective and hope that Dallin can offer allies, parents. Dallin's been on this road for a while and been open for a while. That this will help you. So with that, I'll get Dallin, my Utah State friend, up in Logan, where it's colder than it is in Salt Lake City, to share his story. Yeah. Um, yeah, so like you said, um, uh, before, I, I'm Dallin Patton, but um, before I begin, I do have to mention that I wasn't the one who founded Queer Christian Initiative. I was the one that brought it to Utah State, and I'll talk about that in a little bit. And um, um, I met Laura Ellis. Um, <clears throat> I met her on my mission at Wichita. She lives in wow. Wichita. Yeah, that that's um, that's where I met her. Um, but yeah, so I guess without further ado. Um, I was born and raised in Tucson, Arizona, and I am the oldest of five children. Um, I was born to loving parents, and they, they're amazing people. And um, I do have to preface that, um, that some of the stuff I share might be um, triggering for some people. And, um, it also may seem like my parents don't love me or they're ashamed of me, which is absolutely not the case. My parents absolutely love and adore me and I love and adore them. And they, um, they, I am so grateful to have them as my parents, but so, yeah, um, I, I had a normal childhood. It was, it was normal. Um, it, nothing 
out of the ordinary, really. Um, in my mind, in my mind, that's what it was. But my parents, they noticed that I was different. Um, they didn't know what it was, and they, it wasn't a problem to them, but they just couldn't figure out what it was. And as I started like growing up and elementary school and all that stuff, like I noticed like I had weird feelings towards boys as early as kindergarten. That's as early as I remember it. And um and then as I like continued, um there's as you can imagine, there's history with um, <clears throat> pornography and all that that realm I won't get into that because that's not appropriate for this but there there is a history of that and um, I'm like I, I'm not going to say that like I'm I don't believe that the, you this having a pornography whatever should be as taboo as it is like it's it's a it's a common thing which it's sad that it's a common thing but it's you're not the only one if you are suffering with that so um but um yeah so there is that in there mixed in there but um nothing kind of really happened until about like sixth, seventh grade. And that's where me and my parents kind of started figuring out what, um, it was that made me different. And, um, it was same sex attraction. And, um, we, we didn't think it was that big of a problem at the time. And so we kind of just let it be. And we, because I wasn't that worried about it. Like I was 12, 13, like it's, that's not at the forefront of a 12 or 13 year old's mind. Um, but the summer between my seventh and eighth grade year, um, something happened and the details of that are not important, but something happened and it scared me and my parents and, um, we had no idea what to do. And again, I will bring up that my parents absolutely love and adore me. And um, we are, we're on this journey together. And that being said, we're all going to make mistakes. I made mistakes. They made mistakes. We have hurt each other, but that you, you just have to remember that as, um, because your, your parents are living this life for the first time too. So you have to understand that they're learning as well. Um, but because of that thing that happened, I, um, started going to conversion therapy and, um, I didn't know it was conversion therapy. My parents didn't know it was conversion therapy. And, um, neither one of us knew ever, like had ever been exposed to conversion therapy and we all didn't know what it was. And the reason we did it is because we thought that was the best thing. And I mean, 
I didn't know I was, well, let me rephrase that. I knew that I was gay, but I didn't acknowledge it. And so I was convinced that I was bi. And so I was like, this, the attraction for boys is so strong, but the attraction for girls is like, I don't experience that as much. And so the goal of conversion therapy was to kind of tone down the attraction to boys and tone up the attraction to girls. And so, yeah, but, um, I, but it didn't work. The conversion therapy wasn't working. And so we stopped and then, um, eighth grade until I graduated high school, I just put those feelings in a box and in the deepest, farthest, darkest reaches of my mind. And, just left it there and kind of went, went on about my life. And the, and because of that, I was just in such a dark place. It was so dark and so depressing. And there were, uh, there was no hope. I had no hope. And I, I will honestly say that during that period of my time, I thought I was an atheist because I just did not believe that with how dark and how terrible and how, like, I I don't even have the words to describe what I was feeling. But because of how I was feeling, I was convinced that there wasn't a God because that that was so dark and so terrible. and. I yeah like I don't even have the words to describe it like I said but um as I like was nearing high like high school graduation and um all of the friends I was growing up with were they were announcing that they were going on missions and I was like oh yeah me too like yes and um i was it was also kind of expected of me because for most of my youth my dad was the bishop and i was i was the firstborn of the bishops of the bishop's family and because of that i was i was called the bishop's boy and i was expected to be perfect all the time and um all that good and terrible stuff but um i didn't want anyone to suspect anything and so i was just like yes i'm gonna go on a mission and that's what i was telling people even though i didn't know if that's what i wanted to do or that's what i was i didn't know if that's what i was going to do and that is not what i wanted to do i did not want to go on a mission <laughs> but um, the stars kind of aligned for me to go, and I was like, okay, I I guess I got to go. And granted, like, um, I I knew I knew all of the gospel answers. Like, that's I knew it all, and so I just was like, okay, I'm just gonna push through it and all that stuff, and um no one suspected that I was in such a dark place and 
So I, I was just like, I can, I can just skate by because of my gospel knowledge and that stuff. And, um, yeah. And so I was doing a production of the wizard of Oz at the time. And, um, while I was doing that, I put my mission papers in and I got my mission call. And this was the time that they were still doing paper mission calls. So, um, I, it kind of ages me a little bit, but <laughs> not that I'm old enough to be aged, but, um, <clears throat> so I, one day I got, I opened the mailbox and there was my mission call. And so I immediately got in my car and drove to the, to the Tucson temple because it had, it had just been dedicated, um, the year before. And I found a bench on the, the grounds and I sat down, said a prayer and opened my mission hall. And I, read the whole spiel, dear elder Patton, you have been called to serve as a missionary for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, yada, yada, yada. Um, You're called to serve in the Kansas-Wichita mission. And I didn't know what to think because, like, everyone expected that I was going to go foreign. My dad thought I was going to go to South Korea because I was so smart and could learn Korean pretty fast and like it was it was kind of a shock but um I called my dad and um I told him I read it to him and he was like oh that's really that's 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 so that's cool like like that's kind of the reaction we both had because like you never hear of a missionary going to Kansas of all places, but, um, but, and then, um, after I did that, I, um, kind of waited to, um, tell my mom because my mom was at girls camp at the time. And so, um, I started announcing to people that I had my mission call. I wasn't announcing where yet, but, um, yeah, and so they told my mom at girls camp. She drove down to get service, and I told her. And then later that week, I had the whole mission call reveal, and um, I announced where I was going, and my friends proceeded to call me Wichita for the remainder of the time that I was there. And... Um, my farewell I gave my farewell talk and I got set apart and off I went and I still wasn't sure if it was the right thing to do and while I was in the MTC I I had a lot of spiritual experiences that I just can't deny and so I I knew I was in the right place I knew it was the right time and I knew that the gospel was true and so I just yeah, I went on through my mission. My mission was incredibly hard. I love my mission and all of that, but it was so incredibly hard. And um, it's, yeah, um, 
there there are really aren't words for my mission it it was just it was just incredibly amazing and um while i was on my mission i did have um some abusive companions um which um you don't think would happen on a mission but it did and um the other thing about my mission is when you hear of a missionary in the closet you the normal story is that they go on their mission and they don't have to think about their that problem they can just put it away and just go go about their lives but that wasn't the case for me. It was always on the forefront of my mind because I was so scared that someone was going to figure it out and all this stuff. And, um, my, my first mission president, he, um, he was great. He's an amazing man and his wife is amazing. And I love them out so much. And, and, in my first interview, it was my welcome interview. Um, I, he had us fill out a paper and one of the things on the paper was like, are you scared of being sent home and why? And I said, yes. And it was because of, it was in my mind, it was because of the same sex attraction, but on paper I wrote because I'm afraid of developing anxiety and depression to the point that it would get me sent home. Um, which is kind of ironic and I will explain why, but, um, we started talking about that in my interview and, um, as I was explaining the whole anxiety and depression, all of that, he stopped me and he said, I know you have same sex attraction. And I, um, was, I didn't know what to think. Like my heart kind of like, my mind was on fire and my heart was beating so fast. I was like, Oh crap, this is it. Like, I, I don't know what's going to happen. And he was like, but that's okay. You, as long as you're listening to the spirit, you're worthy to be out here. And so that helped a lot. And then, um, yeah. And about a year into my mission, I had, um, a companion and he this is like my this was my worst nightmare but he figured out that I had same-sex attraction and um this the whole story um I'll spare um uh, but he figured it out because or the story's not that important but he figured it out and he was okay with it but um he he wasn't very considerate of that and i won't go into further details because that's not fair to him um and i've healed from that and so i don't want to go into that but if you it's um yeah um then I fast forward to my mission. I started developing, well, I had already developed anxiety and depression, but it kind of took 
like a major turn and started going downhill so fast to the point that I was barely able to get out of bed to go to the bathroom. And um, I loved my mission and I wanted to stay out, but I had a new mission president at that point and we talked at interviews and um, he felt that um, I I needed to go home because my health was just not where it needed to be. And I was delusional and I was like, no, I can't go home. Like I have to stay out. And so he was like, okay, um, well, if you work at least 80% over the next two weeks, then you can stay out. And three days into that two weeks, I collapsed out of exhaustion and I knew that I needed to go home. And so a week later, I had a ticket in my hand and was on a plane back home to Arizona. And I, there were so many emotions and all that stuff. And I was totally planning on just completing a service mission to finish out the rest of my time because I had seven months left. And um, I got home and I met with the service missionary coordinators for the Arizona Tucson mission. And then like I talked to them and it, it was a great opportunity, but the more I prayed about it and all that stuff, I just felt that it was not right for me to do that. Um, Heavenly father was proud of the work I had done. And, um, was accepted who I was and what I did and that was enough and so I decided that I was done and um it was in in hindsight that was a really good thing because um a month after I came home um the pandemic mm. um well, the pandemic was already happening, but a month after I got home, we all went into lockdown. And so I was just at home and all that stuff. But I had about a month of normal life. <laughs> um, and then I went back to not normal life. <laughs> um, and so um, that was hard, but you, you just got to push through. Like you there's nothing you can do other than push through and all that stuff. But, um, I had already, um, been accepted to Utah state. Um, I had applied my senior year of high school and was able to defer my enrollment, um, and my scholarship. And so, um, it was March of 2020 that the lockdown happened. And then, August of 2020 later, I was up at Utah State and I had no family in Arizona <laughs> uh, or no family in Utah. I had all of my families in Arizona, but, um, but I had no family in Utah. Um, we were still in lockdown and um, I sat in my apartment 
most days, almost every day, all day, every day. And it was just awful. But I was like, you you know what? You just got to push through it. It's not going to, it's not always going to be this way. And you, you can do it. And, um, I pushed through it, but during that first year, I, I knew that I wasn't going to be able to, um, keep my same sex attraction a box forever because that was not healthy for me. And so I needed to figure out what that looked like. And so I began dating women and um, all of the things like the, my friends had been describing all their lives. I was just not feeling, I had kissed um, a woman and I thought it was, that it was not about her but i was like why why do people enjoy this like this is not like this is not it this is not it and um and so i i kept going on dates with women because i was convinced that i was at least bisexual and so i was like i gotta make this work because that's my only hope at a normal life and my only hope at getting the the cookie cutter ideal um, Mormon life um, because at that time we were still using the word Mormon. Um, but um, I started going on dates with guys and um, I kissed a man and I felt everything that the that my friends had described about kissing a woman with kissing a man. And I was like, Oh, this is why people enjoy this. Okay. Um, I don't know what to do about this. So I just kept, I kept going and I kept dating men and women. And, um, I, I feel like I knew, uh, well, like I said before, I knew I was gay, but I didn't want to acknowledge it. And um, now I was like, okay, I'm pretty sure I'm gay, but like, I can't, I can't be gay. Like, I can't, I just can't because that's like, that's like a death sentence to me. That's what I thought. And um, there was one one day where I was, um, I was sitting on my couch in my living room and I was just thinking about everything that had gotten to me, gotten me to that point in my life. And, um, I just heard the words down, you're gay and that's okay. And immediately I felt so much peace and comfort. And it, I hadn't felt that in a long time, like since before my mission. 
And um, I just knew that that was, that was what, that's what I was. That's what I am. I'm gay. And, um, and so I like, okay, um, now I need to know what I, what am I going to do? And, um, I felt, well, I knew I needed to tell my parents and my family. Um, and all that good stuff, but I was debating on whether or not I was going to, um, make a like big coming out post. Um, and I felt like it was the right thing to do, but, um, I kind of was still unsure. And so I kept praying and, um, I talked about it with my parents and, um, because I never really got a definitive answer. It was, it's like when, when someone's asking Heavenly Father if this is the right person to marry, like there's, there are many people that are going to be the right person to marry. Um, but you, it's up to you. You need to, you need to decide because Heavenly Father is going to, he's going to support you no matter what. And, um, but you need to figure it out. And so, um, that's what I was feeling. And I just, after kind of weighing my options, I decided that it was not time for me to do that post. And so I told my parents, I sent them a text because I knew that I was going to be so emotional that I wouldn't be able to get the words out in a phone call. And so I sent them a text and they, they told me how much they loved me and they shared a lot of words, really kind and really loving words. Um, I sent an email to my sister who was on her mission and um, she actually broke the rules to email me because I emailed her and came out to her when it wasn't her P day. And she said, she was like, well, I feel like it would be really bad if I waited to respond to you <laughs> till P day. And so I decided I was just going to break mission rules because I feel like it's important that I, tell you what I'm feeling and she was so happy for me and was so um excited and told me how much she loved me and all that stuff and um during that whole time my my parents they were like we can we like call you and talk about this like we want we want to know a little bit more about what you're feeling, all that kind of stuff. And so that Sunday we had a phone call and um we talked about all that stuff and um they said that they were going to tell the rest of my siblings and they were also going to tell all of my extended family. Um 
And so within 24 hours, <laughs> all of my family knew, <laughs> um, which I mean, I don't know if I would like, if I didn't want that, I don't know if I wanted that, like, but I was kind of just like, you know what, I'm just ready for everyone to know. And so I didn't care how that happened, but it, that's how it happened. So, um, and I'm not mad about that at all. Like I'm that at all. So yeah. And then I went, kind of went about, um, the year, the next year, I kind of started coming out to like select friends and, um, I got an overwhelming, um, sense of love and I mean, but there are always going to be people that don't support you. And I have definitely had those people and have since, um, reduced contact to that with them to a bare minimum, if at all. Um, because if they're not going to support me and love me for who I am, then they don't get to be a part of my life. So, yeah. And then, um, after about a year of kind of like getting used to having the label gay now, I, felt like it was time for me to do a coming out post and that was June 2022 and I wrote it out and I sent it to a few people and I was like but what do you think and uh, should I change anything I don't know like I I don't know what should be in this I don't know like I have no idea and so I but they all said the post was incredible. And so I was like, okay. And I posted it and the response was overwhelming. And I'm so grateful to have so many people in my life that love me and support me and accepts me for who I am. And um, during that time in 2022, or no, it was before that, um, this is where QCI, the Queer Christian Initiative, comes in. But um, so my sophomore year of college, I moved back home because I just hated my life um, in Utah, and so I was like, I just need to be home for a while, and I need to just kind of recuperate and just restart and re um ground myself again and so i was back in arizona and um one of my friends told me about this group called the queer christian initiative that was happening and um this would be the first time that i would go anywhere and would be out publicly as gay and so that terrified me and i talked to um I went and I talked to a girl named Katie and um, she was incredible and I love her so much. She's one of my good friends now. Um, but I talked to her and I figured out that she was the president and founder of QCI down in Tucson, Arizona. 
and at the University of Arizona. And I was like, okay, this is really cool. I need to figure out what this is. And I was at the event and um, I learned more about it. And I talked to Katie. Um, I don't remember what that meeting looked like, but she shared with me kind of more about what QCI was and what um, what they stood for, what they wanted to do, all that kind of stuff. And um, just a little spiel. Um, QCI is, um, it's based, the group is based on the, group that Ben Shalati started in Tucson, Arizona, while he was at the University of Arizona. Um, my friend Katie, she felt that there was a need down there in Arizona, and she wanted to start something to where um, queer and religious people would have a place to go and um, discuss their concerns with their religion, their concerns with their sexuality, their concerns with both, how it looked in their lives, kind of all that stuff, and get advice from other queer and religious people. And she, the vision for her was, um, um, she did it kind of in tandem with the Institute down there. And so it was predominantly LDS because of that. Um, and I, I felt like I had to bring this up, QCI up to Utah State. And so I brought it up here. Um, I came back that next year and there was a institute class called, um, seeking to understand our LGBTQ brothers and sisters at the institute here. And there was one week where there was a student panel who, um, and um, I had talked to the institute teacher and he was all for having QCI up there. And um, he asked me to come before and talk to the students there. And I told them about QCI and how I wanted to start it up there. and. They all loved it, and they wanted to be a part of it, and um, and so we began work to figure out how to start it and how to figure out like how to become a club, and just gathering all that information and all that stuff, good stuff, and by. January of 2023, we were officially a club at Utah State. And um, so we are coming up on our year anniversary, which is, um, it, it's exciting. It's incredible. Um, and um, that spring semester, spring 2023, we were kind of figuring out what what like events we we were gonna do we were trying to like we were getting hitting the ground running and trying to find our footing um and so we didn't have many events because of that but 
Um, we were just figuring out what it was. And then we decided to kind of take the summer off and kind of figure out a little bit more about what we wanted to do, what um, we our year and events wanted to look like and all that kind of stuff. And um, we started back up this semester, the fall 2023 semester, and we began to have events every two weeks, one social event and one spiritual event. And it's been a huge success. We've had, we've grown our following um, exponentially and um, so many people are invested in our club and interested in our club and love coming to our events. Um, and that was the goal is to provide um, a place where queer and religious people could come and explore the intersectionality of their identity. Um, and that it's, it's been incredible. And that kind of brings us to right now. So that's, yeah. and <laughs> thank you for sharing some of your story. <clears throat> um, I would guess that a lot of these parts could be one to our three hour podcasts and you got through a lot of content in 40 minutes and I'm recognizing that some pretty dark periods of your life that <clears throat> are part of your story that you touched on. Um, listeners, when I hear a podcast and a story like Downs, I kind of write some things down and this I'll just kind of blaze through. Um, you mentioned pornography use and I've, you know, my feeling is a pornography use, which I, you know, I invite people, I believe is a sin, invite people not to use, but I recognize like Downs said that a lot of people do have pornography use and to me, it doesn't change someone's sexual orientation. It's just a window into their sexual orientation. So it's part of this backstory mentality that a lot, I was in this space where if I could just find a backstory here, this is really a straight person that something has happened to. And if we can unhappen that, that's not good English, then we'll have back to a straight person. And and that's part of my learning in this space is, and it came to this personal revelation you heard in at the end of your story, you know, Dallin, you were gay and that's okay. So this is, you know, the whole premise of think of conversion therapy and some of your journey is that being gay is not okay. And, and, um, you're coming to peace with who you are, um, is a painful journey. <laughs> and it breaks my heart that you've been on this road um, because of society, church culture, and just our feelings about queer people. And, but you're helping to, because of the club you formed and the being open on who you are, are helping to, you know, make it easier for people um, that are coming before you. I love your language. Um, my par parents and I are on this journey together. Um, maybe other guests have said that, but I, it was really powerful that neither of us have it all figured out. We might be making mistakes, but it's not like Dallin's journey and your parents are kind of on this road every now and then. I love the way you just were on this journey together. And this is a beautiful family love story. And 
Um, I think I've used Apollo 13 a lot on this podcast. Gene Kratz sort of saying, when things go sideways, everybody's like, and, you know, Apollo 13 looks like it's going to be a disaster. And he stands up as the space shuttle commander, I think, and says, excuse me, this is going to be our finest hour. So in some ways, I think this is one of the Patton family's finest hour. Your sister emailing you from her mission and your parents not knowing the right answers all the time, but you seem present for each other and willing to have the conversations. Um, I, when you talked about high school and says, well, I'm going to put this back in, um, I'm going to put this back in a box. Conversion therapy didn't work. Listeners, Dallin actually went to the back of his head and put his hand back there. And I, I thought that was a visual and, but then it was so painful for, and so dark for you to have to just put this in the back of your head. And you talked about maybe being an atheist during this time. And I've wondered if part of that is just you feel like, you know, why would a loving God create me as gay? And so I can't believe in God because I can't believe this is a good outcome. I can't believe eventually where you got to because at that point it's just so dark. Um, I don't know if you, you know, you can come back to that, but. Um, I love you being open with that. And I, I think it's part of my invitation and Dallin's invitation is ask God how he feels about you if you're queer or think you're queer. You might be surprised. I think it's a great question to ask and receive personal revelation. Um, it's part of just, you know, getting the internalized homophobia out of you. If you start to believe that you're, intend, you're created as intended. I love the way you frame your mission, Dallin as amazing and hard. There's a book out called Both Things Can Be True by Kate Holbrook. And, you know, as you talked about your mission being both amazing and both hard, it's sort of like both of those things can be true. Um, But I recognize the fear of being found out of gay during your mission. And you're really honest about that, that you couldn't put this on the shelf because you're the assumption of the mission culture of you, of just sort of society is you know, being gay on a mission would be an undesirable thing. Um, it would complicate my relationship with the companions. With, And so I love the way you talked honestly about that, Dallin. And I, um, it helped me understand just how difficult it can be for closeted queer missionaries um, on their missions. Um, it's interesting your mission president said you were SSA. And I want to ask you now, most people don't like it when someone outs them sort of before they're ready to be added, even if they suspect it, because it sort of some, some of my guests have told me it invalidates their experience and um, makes it even feel like, well, how did you know? Because like, I've been working so hard not to let anybody know. Do you want to talk about that right now? Just what it was like, you did do a good job, but I want to talk it's sort of giving advice to others that, okay, I think I've got priesthood responsibility or parent responsibility or friend responsibility or someone I think is queer. Should I talk to them about it or not? So run with that one. Um, so the whole experience with my mission president was um, like, I love him and I am not mad at him. Like he, like I said, he's an amazing, he's an amazing man. And, um, that whole experience of him kind of telling me that, like, I, I don't really know how he knew 
that before I had told him. Um, I don't know if it was in like my mission papers that he received um, because I know that I had talked about it with my bishop and my state president. So I don't know if one of them had included it in that or if it was just actually revelation. Um, and I, he, he might reach out if he listens to this and he might tell me, I don't know, <laughs> but, um, we'll, we'll see what happens. But, um, I was never really outed. I don't, I don't feel that way. And, um, but I do, I do think that it could be seen that way, but I don't see it that way. And, I guess my advice to people who know that um, someone is queer, um, you you do not approach them. Don't ever approach them. Let them approach you. Um, and don't tell people that you think need to know about this person being queer. That's not your right. That's not your responsibility. Um, you are there to support that queer person with the knowledge that you have. Um, that queer person is, there's a lot going on in their mind. There's a lot going on in their heart. They do not need you to tell people for them unless they expressly tell you to. That's a whole different situation. But if they don't tell you to tell people for them, don't do it. That's just blanket statement. It's not your right to tell people unless they ask you to do it or they ask you to help them do it. So it's great. Um, thanks for addressing that. And I, that's a good question, you know. I'm not, this isn't a podcast to advise bishops and stake presidents, mission presidents, but I like transparency. And so if you're going to talk about being queer before your mission to your bishop and stake president, uh, if I were bishop or stake president, I'd say, do you want me to put that on the mission application? I don't think it's required they disclose that. And that would then go to your new mission president. Would you like me to include that or not? And so you're willing to give two years of your life. I think, you know, that would be my. You know, my hope in the process is that, you know, as you're becoming Elder Patton, that you know who and who doesn't know about your sexual orientation to be opened up and know just to your point that that's not going to be shared without your um, permission, that that's your story to tell. So it sounds like it was okay that your mission president talked to you about it, but it's a little jarring <laughs> at the same yes. time. <laughs> yes, um, the, to say the least. <laughs> but, and I mean, both my state president and my bishop, they if they had done it, they did it out of love because yeah. they are both amazing men. And I don't think, like, they, they're they not the villain. No one is the villain in the story. Um, but, yeah, they're... Yeah, they, they did it out of a place of love if they did it. I still don't know if they did it, but... Yeah, There's a, they, lot of, a lot of grace in that. Um, this is a question that's probably unanswerable, but you're pretty honest about the anxiety 
and the stress of your mission. Can you give a percentage to how much is related to your sexual orientation and, and being found out you were gay? So, I mean, you're kind of like, that's a hard question, but it, you know, I don't yeah. know if you were straight, um, um, I, I assume a big part, any thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if I can give a percentage. Um, <laughs> See, that's my analytical I, mind wanting an analytical answer. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I, I've, this is going to be like a weird example, but um, I feel like you're, it's a parent who has a child and they're about to have another child and they're worried that they have to split their love for their children. And so, but as soon as they see the child, they realize that they give all of their love to both of their children. And like I said, it's a really weird example, but um, that's how I feel like it is with my anxiety is that all of my depression, all of my anxiety goes to all of my problems or all of my problems get all of my anxiety and all of my depression. Um, so, um, there are times where that is all of, all of the anxiety that I'm feeling that's related to that. There are times where none of my anxiety is related to that. Um, so I, yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know if I can give a percentage. Um, but I mean, I mean, that that answer of like all of my anxiety and depression is coming from uh, learn, like I've learned a lot about myself and all that stuff. But I feel like if you were to have asked me when I was on my mission, uh, I one, I probably would have denied that I had same sex attraction, like I would have denied it. And two, I would have just, um, I would have been like, if you knew how I had same sex attraction, I would have like, it's, it's 150% of my anxiety and my depression is related to that. And, but yeah, it's a good answer. Um, thank you for serving a mission. I, yeah. Um, that brought me tear to tears to think of, you know, your willingness to serve a mission. You've been in a dark place. You're not sure how God feels about you. you you've got this mission called the Kansas, kind of a surprise. Um, you're in Wichita. <laughs> Maybe that's where you met Laura, Ellis, and others. Um, but you're also walking a really lonely road, and you're trying to bring people to Christ, and you're battling depression, anxiety, fear of being found out. And this storm is kind of around you 24-7. And respect for being alive, respect for your courage to get on that plane. I would guess there's a lot of people whose lives are better because of you that you don't know of at this time, just your kindness and your willingness to serve. Um, and I just think if God could come on the podcast, it's one of the things he'd tell you is just how proud he is. Other patent for the service and your courage and walking a really lonely road, not being able to really talk about the realities of your life. And um, 
So respect. I, I think I hear stories sometimes that's improving. And there's a couple of listeners I've on the email distribution list of a couple of gay missionaries and one in particular that's in the States is talking, you know, he's had some really t- difficult experiences, but he, one of, he's in a spot where he's just got a terrific companion. And I don't know what that means. He's, he's openly gay on his mission as he went on his mission. So everybody in the whole mission knows he's gay. Um, so that's, you know, that's out on the table, but that doesn't maybe simplify things. Um, but at least he knows no one's wondering and maybe the stress, maybe it just changes different stress and anxiety for a different, I don't want to say his road's easier than your road is what I'm trying to say, Dallin, but he has just got a great companion that, you know, looks at this as just, we're here as disciples of Christ trying to bring people into Christ and me being straight and you being gay is just neutral. It's not we're just the same and we have the same goals. So I look at um, younger Latter-day Saints. Um, I think proximity matters where they just have more experience with queer people before their mission, that they're just calm. And um, obviously in a different place than I would have been than I was in the eighties. Um, I like, you know, you wrote down a word, a phrase, only hope of a normal life is when you started to date women. And um, that brought some tears to my eyes because I love the word hope. And that's so important. Um, I think that's one of the most important gifts of mortality is hope in our future. When we can give that gift to others or the gospel gives us that. But to feel your only hope of a normal life is, is dating and marrying a woman. I get that. Um, but that's sort of outside of the possibility for you to make possible in your life. And so to lose that hope can lead to suicidal ideation. It can lead to hopelessness and despair. It's sort of Brene Brown has a quote that's sort of you're locked out of the power, chance of human connection and powerless to change that. And so that's a tough spot to be in. And what we do, I think, is Latter-day Saints is acknowledge the complexity of your life and, and say, Dallin, you've got to write your own story. You've got to get personal revelation for your life, and I'll walk with you on what you think is the best road. But um, it sounds like you made everything possible to make it work, to have, quote-unquote, <laughs> a normal life. And it sounds, that leads to a question, though. Tell our listeners just how you are emotionally now um, and what just Talk, if you're okay, just talk about where you are emotionally. Yeah. Um, I'm in the best place I've ever been. Um, it's taken a lot of work to get to where I am. And um, yeah, it's, I am so grateful for um, the people that have helped me get here. And for, and I'm so proud of myself for the work I put in to get here. And, um, there um it has i will say that like like you said there was a lot of suicidal ideation and there were some attempts and um i'm happy to report that they were not successful and um but i have done so much work to get to where i am and now um i would say that like I have done a lot of learning and a lot of growing, and I will say that no one has a normal life. Their normal is a, it's, 
um, an illusion. Like that's what you have. It's an illusion that you have. Like of like you see other people and you assume that that's normal, and they're doing the exact same thing to you. And I, I like even if I were to marry a woman in the temple my life still wouldn't be normal i mean that would be like ideal like sure but um it won't be normal because they're the life that if it were to happen me and a woman would have would be um it would be full of trials and tribulations that make it not normal and it would it would look completely different from every single other person and couple but um i've made peace that i'm not going to be married in the temple and if people are like well do you hope that you can marry in the temple like if the church allows gay like marriages and ceilings in the temple then would would you do it? And my answer to that is, I don't like to think about that. I like to focus on what I know and what has been revealed to us. Because if I hope for something that I have no idea is going to happen, that's so depressing for me. Because the more I hope for it and the more I get disappointed by it not happening it just takes a toll on your mental and emotional well-being and so i have chosen to focus on what has been revealed now and what i know and that has brought me so much so much joy and comfort that was a great segment, Dallin. You are so emotionally, spiritually, intellectually mature. You have been stretched um, in so many ways. And somebody needs to do a thesis on this, but I think sometimes my queer Latter-day Saint friends, you know, of you're just you're still in your 20s and you could, you know, you've just been stretched in such a way that it's helped you become the person you are today. And you're becoming a social worker, I think, um, and your ability to help other people through only your academic work, um, the experience you're going to get, you probably already get, in, but then your lived experience, you're going to bless a lot of lives. And you are not 40, in your mid-40s doing this podcast, you are in your mid-20s. Um, I love what you said about sort of church expectations. Listeners, I, 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 I'm a aware of our doctrine and I, and I'm not advocating it to change. I think it could change our policy could change, but I invite people to make decisions like Dallin suggested on our current doctrine and not some hope that it will change. Um, I think that's a difficult, more difficult road to go down. So, you know, I invite people to take God with them, write their own story, own their own story. A lot of people are telling are going to tell Dallin how to write his own story, but I think he does better at the end of the day is if he writes a story from position of strength when he's his personal best, which I think you are. You answered the question about my emotional health. 
you're finishing up at Utah State. I think you're in the best per- spot to write your own story and really own it and know that it, this isn't a reaction to somebody else's story or pain from this from this journey, but it's a very intentional story. So I love where you are, and I love that you've got God in your life and that, you know, what you've done with the, I better get the name right, Queer Christian. Um, oh, I can't get it right. Tell me, tell us, Queer Christian Initiative, this intersection of, of you know, God and being queer, and God loves his queer children. Um, Heavenly parents love all their children, including their queer children. As I've said before, no one should look in the mirror and feel who they are is a mistake, straight or queer. I think everybody needs to be on the same moral footing. They're equally loved by God. Uh, that doesn't change church doctrine or church teachings. It just takes shame out of the equation. And shame for how we feel is one of Satan's greatest tools to separate us from the love of God. And maybe you felt some of that in your high school years. Also, listeners feel like the gathering of Israel, which we talk a lot about in our church, is the people in Wichita you were trying to find. I lived on Rock Road and 64th. I can't believe I can still remember the coordinates of where I lived in Wichita. And I lived on Rock Road. <laughs> in the, and we chased, I was kind of wanted to see a tornado come through. Is that my, oh, I did. You I did. did. So not through Wichita, but, but and, I saw, and, I and Andover, Yeah, I think Andover got slammed. 10 years ago. So I'm, you know, I recognize that's tornado alley, but um, the gathering of Israel is queer Latter-day Saints. They are in the vineyard. Um, It's kind of a corner of the vineyard. We don't like to think about your Institute class at Utah State's talking about it. That's great. Um, You're talking about it, Dallin. Um, You're creating an organization and helping us, but queer Latter-day Saints are part of Israel. Dallin is Israel. Um, and so I, that's an invitation to all of us allies and queer people like Dallin, that's doing something is what can we do to gather queer people, um, in our own faith and queer people throughout the whole world to help them feel God's love, our love, society love, and not feel like they're a mistake. You said a line that I wrote down my point number nine, being gay is a death sentence. You know, that's how you earlier thought about who you are. And I'm glad you're past that and can give hope. And I love this personal revelation you got. Dallin, you are okay. You are gay and that's okay. How powerful is that? And I love now that you've, you know, doing what you're doing at Utah State. And I think this will be a pattern for the rest of your life professionally and being the intersection of being Christian and gay and you give a great life ahead of you, but you've done a lot of hard work to get you where you are. Respect for being alive, working through suicidality, just the journey you've been on. Um, just, you know, on behalf of our listeners, we love you, respect you, grateful for your willing to share your story and your great life ahead of you. And you're giving hope to other people. But I want to give it, that's kind of my list, listeners, of things I've got. But I want to give it back to Dallin to just go as long as you want in your closing segment. Um, yeah, I mean, if you want to know more about my story, um, you can, I'm sure that my Instagram will be tagged in all of this, um, but you can message me there and, um, I'm more than happy to talk to you and, um, I 
Um, I love, I will love you and support you where you're at. And I will, um, I, I will do my best to help, but I guess I just have to, I have to bear testimony that God is real and he loves me and he loves each and every one of us infinitely. And he designed us perfectly and we, we are designed perfectly as we are and we don't need to change. We, we don't need to change who we are to be loved and um, our worth is not um, condoned by our worthiness. And we are always worthy of God's love. And we are always worth everything in the world and more. And we, I testify that Jesus Christ is our Savior and Redeemer and our elder brother, and he loves each and every one of us. And I testify that the gospel is true and that it is, it is designed with us in mind. And it allows us to achieve happiness and joy, true joy, through our Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ. And I testify of all these things and do so in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Dallin. This is Richard Osler and Dallin Patton signing off from another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. And in the show notes, look for Dallin's Instagram. Mm-hmm.